Okay, well, so I'm not, I don't, I don't usually use sports analogies and start off with stuff like this, but hey, congrats to all the Buckeyes fans, right? From, I mean, even winning by one point is still winning at the end of the day, right? So I have um, like, a, like a bit of a love-hate relationship with football, all right? I'm just going to be honest. Now, I'm not going to get into a big thing on this, but one of the things that, that always intrigues me, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm so... I don't know if intrigue is the right way to say it, but one of the things I'm, I'm always so perplexed about or, or, or curious about is when an athlete will score a point, score a touchdown, and, you know, they'll do the, the kneel and they'll point up to the, to the big man upstairs and they give, they give glory to, to God, right? Okay, so there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to go against, you know, attack those people by, by any means. But one of, one of the things that, that I wonder is really truly the the position of their heart in that moment right like it's one thing to kneel and 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 outwardly give this this glory to god it's a whole different thing to really from a core position glory in god for the glory that we are experiencing right it's it's a it's even for me if i can just be so honest even preaching i can walk away from this as completely mediocre as my sermons are. I can walk away from this glorying in my own name if I am not so careful. Because glory and, and, and harboring and keeping the credit for ourselves is, is charming, is it not? It's, it's fascinating. It, it's, it, it, it is so... In, in, intrinsic. It's so deeply wired into our DNA. I mean, look, look the, the, the first humans, Adam and Eve, right? They, they, they went a God, they, they disobeyed God in the garden because essentially they, they wanted their own glory. And I mean, Lucifer, who was an angel in heaven, who we now know as Satan, right? He, he fell from heaven. He was, he was cast out of heaven because he wanted his own glory, his credit. He wanted weight to his name. We, we continue in the, in the Bible story. We see, you know, the Tower of Babel and how they're like, oh, you know, we should make a tower up to God so that we can make a name for ourselves. And we see this in the book of Galatians with the Judaizers. We even see it in the Galatians themselves. Glory is a charming thing. And Paul really kind of taps into that in our passage today, in Galatians chapter 3, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14? We've been, we've been continuing in this series that we're calling the Gospel for Life. We've been examining the Word of God that was delivered through the Apostle Paul. Paul was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was a servant. He was a church-planting missionary of Jesus. And, 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 and these words that we read in the book of Galatians were, were given by God the Holy Spirit and delivered through Paul to several churches in the Roman province that, is, that was known as Galatia, which is basically modern-day Turkey. It's what's known as modern-day Turkey. So the churches to whom Paul wrote this letter some 2,000 years ago, they were churches that Paul had recently just planted. They were filled with brand new baby believers, baby Christians. They were excited, they were passionate, but they were also immature. 
and they were impressionable. And they were a very easy group to target. And there was this group of teachers from Jerusalem that Paul refers to as Judaizers, who shortly after Paul leaves these churches, shortly after Paul plants these churches, the Judaizers move in, and this young Christian group, all these churches, very impressionable, they were, they, were, they were very easy to mess with. And the Judaizers basically were preaching the same message as Paul, but they, but they were tweaking it just a bit. And so if you haven't been here, the, the basis of the message, if, if I can translate it as simply as possible, the Judaizers come into this, these churches in Galatia, and the premise of their message to these Christians is this. Yeah, you know what, what Paul said, the gospel message, Jesus Christ uh, died and, and, and resurrected, all that's good, but before you can officially become a Christian, you, you actually have to start acting like a Christian, before you can truly be justified before God, before you can truly be pleasing to God, you have, you have to follow some rules. That's the essence of what the Judaizers were preaching. And the young and excited but immature Christians in Galatia began to adopt this message. And Paul was horrified because what I hope we understand in this room is that the true gospel, the true gospel that we make such a big deal about every week is this, by the grace of Jesus Christ alone, we are saved by faith alone. That's it. There's nothing else needing to be done. No boxes to check off. No, no things we have to do. In order to become a Christian, it's, it's what Jesus has already done on our behalf by trusting in his work that he accomplished on the cross. We are justified and we stand fully pleasing before God. Full stop. That's, that's good news. It sounds scandalous. It is scandalous. We've just sung it. The scandal of grace. Goodness me. Paul wrote in... Chapter 2, verse 16, a couple weeks ago. We know that a person is not justified, that is, they are not declared innocent before God by works of the law, by, by, by doing things, by observing commandments. But through faith in Jesus Christ is how a person is declared innocent before God. I am astonished. Paul wrote in chapter 1, verse 6. Do we remember? Paul was horrified that the, that the Galatians were forgetting. They were turning away from the simplicity of, of grace through faith alone. He goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different one, but there are some. And he's referring to the Judaizers. There are some, those Judaizers, who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. These Judaizers were motivated to earn disciples for themselves. They were distorting the gospel because they wanted to collect followers of their own gospel. They wanted to share in the glory a bit. 
They wanted to make a name for themselves. But Paul continues that, he says, even if we, or even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, contrary to the one you've already received, let him be accursed. The tone of this letter is intense. It is intense. To be accursed is to be eternally damned. Like, like if, I, if I may, the modern translation, if anybody's preaching to you a different gospel, let him go to hell. I think we would kick Paul out of a lot of our churches today. He is intense. He is dead serious because the situation is dead serious. The true message, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is so vitally specific. It is so necessary in every last detail that tweaking it even just a little bit is perilous. It's perilous. And Paul knows that the the glorious truth of the gospel stands on the edge of a knife. And so it's with great intensity that today we read the Apostle Paul. He is continuing his intensity in today's passage. Would you follow along with me as I read, starting in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? We bow before your holy word, Lord. For it is just that. When we read these words, we must understand that you are speaking to us right now. You have spoken to us. You will continue to speak to us as we dive into your Bible. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that you would even want to continue communicating with us after we have rebelled time and time and time again. But thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to rightly, the best we can, understand what it is that you're speaking to us in this text. And we trust that we have what we desire. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a lot going on in this passage. (laughs) And Paul's tone is clearly intense. But at the very heart of this passage, listen, today is an encouraging day. I want you to hear me. This is not a fake smile. It is an encouraging day. This passage has some really, really, really good news for you and I. Really good news. Namely this. Everything that God graciously desires to give to you and I, all of His precious promises, His grace, His mercy, His abundant strength and peace and joy and righteousness... Everything that God desires to give to us is ours by faith. By faith alone. We cannot do anything to to get this, to receive this grace from God. We cannot do anything. We can't earn it. We could never deserve it because grace, by definition, the word grace literally means unmerited favor. So if we could somehow deserve grace, it would cease to be grace. Do we see that? Last week we left off with Paul highlighting this undeserved grace. As Pastor Ronnie walked us through the last passage, he wrote, Paul, Paul wrote in, in, in chapter 2 verse 21, for, for if righteousness you know, could be achieved through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you and I could somehow achieve righteousness on our own today, if we could somehow make ourselves more pleasing to God and justify ourselves before God, um, Christ died for no purpose. That's what Paul was saying. So once again, here is what I believe the thesis statement of our passage this morning, Galatians 3 verses 1 through 14, this is what I believe the thesis statement underlying everything that God is saying. I believe this is it. All that God graciously desires to give to us is ours by faith and faith alone. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to break this passage down quickly into three sections with three coinciding points. If you're a note taker, here are my three points. And for the remainder of our time, I'm only going to be under one of these three points. Okay? Clear? Number one, faith 
is the A to Z of the Christian life. That's point number one. Point number two, it always has been. Meaning, this good news is not new news. Number three, to rely on works is enticing, but ultimately enslaving. It is cursed. Let's look at number one. Faith is the A to Z of the Christian life. The Christian life stands or falls on faith. And in order to demonstrate how serious Paul is about this, he begins in verse 2. We'll come back to verse 1. He begins with, in verse 2 by asking a series of rhetorical questions. Let me ask you, O foolish Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In, in, in other words, did God the Holy Spirit come to you and give you new life because you followed a couple rules? Or did God the Holy Spirit come to you and give you new life when you first heard the gospel because you recognized your inability to follow all the rules and thus you recognized your need for a Savior? The work of God the Holy Spirit is a marvelous, mysterious thing. Now I say God the Holy Spirit because He is in fact a unique person. We're not talking about a force when we say the Spirit. We're talking about a person. God the Holy Spirit is distinct from, yet one with, the rest of the Godhead. God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the blessed trinity that we've just sung, I believe. Now, in the Old Testament, God the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people at certain times so that they could perform certain tasks with some divine ability. I think about the building of, the construction of the, the, the temple and all the decorations in Exodus 31. But that wasn't always God's plan. God's plan all along, as we read in the book of Joel, was always that God the Holy Spirit would be given to all of God's people, which is what we witness in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And since that day, ever since the day of Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit continues to be given to anyone and everyone he so chooses. Jesus says, just like the wind in John chapter 3, God the Holy Spirit goes wherever God wishes. And so with this in mind, Paul's point in verse 2, I'm going to break this down, is simply this. That God the Holy Spirit did not come to you because of anything you've done to deserve Him. Because of anything you've done. God the Holy Spirit came to you because by the gift of faith you recognized you did not deserve Him. Paul continues in verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, having been begun, having begun by the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, if God the Holy Spirit is the one who came and convinced your heart, who resurrected your dead heart and convinced your heart of its sinfulness and your need for a savior 
If, if God the Holy Spirit really did all of that, do you really think that it's up to you to complete your own salvation? Do you really think it's up to you to finish what you didn't even start? Are you so foolish? Paul asked them. Verse 5, continuing in this rhetorical rampage. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and, and, and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, does God, does the God of the universe who gives himself to you and performs miracles as merciful proof of his ministry to you, does he unleash his power and manifest his glory in such wondrous ways because you stopped smoking and stopped cussing, following some, 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 some rules? Did he do all of that because, because of outward things that you were doing? Or because he's revealed to your soul that you could never live perfectly enough to deserve him. And therefore, he willingly wants to give himself to you all the more because you're undeserving. He loves to give himself to people who know they need him. So here's Paul's point in verses 2 through 5. Through this series of rhetorical questions, he's reminding the Galatians and us that works don't save us. Our works, our obedience to the rules, to the Old Testament, we, they, they don't, that doesn't regenerate our hearts. Our works don't perfect us. Our works can't produce divine miracles among us. Our works don't make us more pleasing to God. Our works can't gain us access into God's family. Only faith in Christ Jesus can do that. That's Paul's point. Everything that God graciously desires to give us is yours and mine by faith alone. It is the A to Z of the Christian life. And it always has been. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. Notice how verse 5 transitions to verse 6. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And notice something. Notice how Paul correlates. He directly correlates hearing with faith to Abraham believing God. Faith is believing God. Notice it's not merely this, believing in God. Paul doesn't say because Abraham believed in God because Paul knows that even Satan and his demons believe in God. I mean, most of the world believes in God as in we intellectually affirm that he exists. Paul doesn't correlate saving faith with merely believing in God. He says that Abraham believed God. Which is a whole lot more than saying believed in. See, Abraham trusted God. When God called Abraham to leave his homeland for a land that he would show him in Genesis chapter 12, God, Abraham trusted him. Abraham was confident in God. When, when God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, Abraham was assured of God. When God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar in Genesis 22, this is 
faith. Now, in this whole series so far, if anybody has been wondering, what is a simple definition of faith? Because we use that word all the time. If anybody's wondering that, here is a very simple definition found in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is believing God's word in order to lay hold of all that he has promised us. Faith doesn't, isn't something that originates with us, though we often treat it like it is. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that faith is a gift from God. And faith isn't something that we conjure up with great concentration. Romans 12 says differently, that faith is actually allotted to God's people in varying measure according to his own discretion. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us that everything that we have, everything, including your shoes and your eyeballs and your faith, has been given to you by God. <laughs> Abraham was a man, I don't know where the eyeballs came from. <laughs> it wasn't written down. Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God. He, he trusted. He trusted God. He was confident in God. And in verse 6, Paul then quotes Genesis 15, 6 to show us that this good news is not new. Look, you guys, even Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, nation even Abraham, to whom the right of circumcision was given, which is going to be a big thing here in Galatians, even Abraham was justified by faith alone. Even Abraham was saved, not by his works, but by believing God. Now, there is a thick irony at work here. Because the Judaizers were essentially pointing to Abraham, to the law of circumcision. And they were teaching the Galatians that in order to be fully accepted by God, they must be like Abraham. And continue this ritual, this rite of circumcision. But Paul is pointing to Abraham to make the very opposite point. He's pointing to Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he's saying this, full acceptance before God does not depend on anything that we do, but on everything that Jesus has already done. Our justification before God is by faith alone. So we ought to know then, verse 7, that it is those of faith who are the true sons of Abraham. The Judaizers are all wrong. They need to read their Bibles. The true heirs of Abraham, the true citizens of God's kingdom, the true members of God's family are those who simply believe God at his word. They say, I trust you. This is really, really good news. It is not new news. Paul explains in verse 8, the scriptures have taught this good news all along. So then, those, verse 9, those who are of faith, they're not subject to slavery, to the rites of circumcision, like the Judaizers would say. 
Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Um, there's a lot in this passage. I'm trying to teach it as best I can. And I want to apply it and, and, and dig into our own lives. And so let's transition to my last point, point number three. To rely on our works or to go back to relying on our works is enticing. But church, it is ultimately enslaving. It is cursed. We see it in verse 1 and we see it in verses 10 through 14 to close out our passage. Our passage began in verse 1 with with Paul asking, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That is a loaded question. It's actually more of a statement. It's the only time in scripture we see this particular Greek word translated in this particular way, bewitched. The CSB translates it like this. Who has cast a spell on you? Who has snake charmed you? Who has enticed you? Who has hypnotized you like this? No mere man, no Judaizer from Jerusalem could do such a thing. This work of power is a work of Satan. That's what Paul's getting at. See, if Satan cannot get God's people to do the wrong things, he tries to get God's people to do the right things for the wrong reasons. The Judaizers, and now the young, impressionable Christians of Galatia, they had resorted to following God's rules in order to earn His approval. They were relying on their obedience to the Old Testament ritual of circumcision. They were relying on that to present themselves justified before God. In essence, they were obeying God in order to get something from Him, which at the end of the day, church, that's not heart-level obedience, is it? I wish I had an example. I'm sure I have millions with my own kids of asking them to obey and then them secretly just going through the motions of doing it in order to get something they want from me later. I know that I, sorry mom, did that to you and dad all the time. So <laughs> It's not heart level. I probably should note while I'm here that, and I'm almost done, that you will never hear from this pulpit, oh God, if they ever do, close this church down, you'll never hear from this pulpit that you, in Christ, are now free to just go about living your lives like a hellish nightmare. You'll never hear that. But what you will also never hear is that you have to somehow clean yourself up before you can be counted as one of of Jesus's. You'll never hear that. And that's what, what's amazing about the actual gospel. By justification by faith alone. What's amazing is that those who truly are granted faith and they believe God, their lives go on to exemplify great holiness and righteousness. They obey much of the scriptures. 
They're after the law because they simply delight in Christ so much they want to emulate him in their lives. But it's not because they're trying to earn. It's because they've already been given. There is a huge, huge life-changing difference here. Are we approaching the throne of grace with duty or delight? Delight. We get to be in God's family for free. And now we get to walk like Jesus and look like him, which is the very essence of what a joyful life means. Just test it. Just try it. Paul writes in verse 10 that everyone who does not do this, who's searching after justification by their works, is under a curse. Because according to God himself, in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 27, look, if we were to go there and read it, this is, this is what, you can't just cherry pick your favorite laws from the Old Testament and follow only those. And I have no idea why the Judaizers picked circumcision. <laughs> we can't do that because according to Deuteronomy 27, if anyone wants to be saved by works of the law, you have to abide by every single law at every single moment of your life for every single day of your life without fail. That is the level of righteousness that's demanded by the law. And that is why all of us who think, oh, I'm going to go after it, I'm going to check all these off, we're, we're under a curse. We will never attain what we're striving for. Who here, we're not going to do a show of hands, who here has never once sinned? Who here has never acted in anger? or pride, or selfishness? Who here has never once entertained a lustful thought? Who here has always, for every second of your life, loved the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength? If we really want to rely on works of the law, that is what the law requires. And to rely on our works even a little, verse 12, Paul says, is to nullify faith. It is either or. It is not both and. We either rely on our works into damnation or we rely on Jesus's into salvation. Gosh, this is good news. So Paul says in verse 11, now it is evident. Hopefully this is true. God the Holy Spirit, let it be true. Now it's evident to us here in Worcester, Ohio, that no one is justified before God by works of the law. Because every human being in history has sinned and fallen short of God's righteous standard. Every single human being in history except one. Sweet Jesus. And thank God for this next line. Because Jesus Christ looked upon our helpless, cursed state. And he entered into our broken world. And he lived a perfect life. 
But then he took upon himself all of my imperfections and my rebellion and yours, all of our sin, all of our filth and wretchedness, and he died the sinner's death that we deserved. Because of Jesus Christ, having raised to life and conquered the grave, this next line, for the righteous now, yes, they will, they shall live by faith. So if anyone here, anyone here, desires to be forgiven and washed clean and counted as righteous, standing justified before God both right now and forevermore. If anyone here says that sounds good, believe God. Believe this truth in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus became your sin And he bore your punishment on the cross and he rose again in order to make you into the righteousness of God. Christ redeemed us, Paul writes in verse 13, from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, this is Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Man, that's what I deserve. That's what you deserved. But Jesus did it in our place. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham, who simply believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That blessing has come to the Gentiles, that's us non-Jews, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what are we to take away from all of this? I've done the best I can to do a bit of an Old Testament survey in this. The good news is not new news, but we must not let it become old news. The good news is, new, is not new news, but we must not let it become old news. God's people, we never graduate from the simple, wonderful, beautiful gospel that He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We never go deeper in our theologizing than that. I don't care what doctrine you tap out or you study, it all leads back to that amazing, profound, wonderful truth that our first through fifth graders are going to get. And even younger. Preach it to yourself then. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Preach it to the people in your community group. If you're not in one, get in one. This is what we do. We remind each other of the gospel because I am so prone to picking up the chains that Christ has freed me from and trying to shackle myself back down to complete conformance to the law in order to earn his approval. Martin Luther once wrote this, I must constantly listen to the gospel. Because it tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. He went on to write this. Every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. Every week. Do you not? I do. I need to be reminded of the gospel every 10 minutes. And here is a good summary. When you're feeling downcast because of your your disobedient track record, remember this truth and it will spur you on to good works 
in the salvation of Christ. It's not primarily about trying. It's primarily about trusting. Remember that truth. When you, when you hit the snooze, and I'm not advocating this, and you're not up feasting on the Word of God on that day when you hit the snooze, it's not primarily about trying. It's primarily about trusting. Then go to work and own Jesus' righteousness as if you had a perfect devotional time that morning. When you feel like you can't raise your hands or come in here and sing because of your track record, because of your history, because of the things you've done, you are relying on works of the law. And it's a curse. Don't you want that weight to be lifted? To come in here and to strengthen your weak knees and to raise your hands, to have your head lifted up to the heavens in adoration because at the end of the day, it's not your track record that earned your ticket in here. It was his. It was his. It's done. You're free. It's important to remember that when we've had a bad day, but let me tell you this in closing. I keep saying I'm closing. I'm actually going to. It is crucial to remember the gospel when we've had a good day. When we go, I got up at 5.30 this morning and I read all of the book of John. I'm feeling pretty good. You know it because you do it, don't you? Don't we all? Don't we all then go with a little bit of a little bit of a leap in our step because we've kind of we've helped God out today. We've made ourselves more presentable, more loving. Surely, I mean, surely our direct line to his ear is going to be a little bit more wide open because you know we're doing our part, right? Which leads us back, leads me back to my really honestly cheesy example of the person in the end zone giving glory to God. How much of us are altogether glorying in God when we come in here or are we bringing a little bit of our own honor and glory for our own namesake in here thinking we kind of earned our ticket in here this week. Do you see what I'm talking about? We have no boast but Christ and that is the best boast to have. Are you confident in this gospel? Do you Walk out of here every Sunday, Christian, assured with the hope of your salvation. If not, we're believing wrongly. Everything that God graciously desires to give us is ours by faith. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Wow. I could be the only one in the room, Lord, but I want to sing. And I'm so excited that we get to do so now, to sing of this amazing grace, this scandalous grace that absolutely disintegrates the chains of those who would want to be under the law. Oh, believer, be freed today. Be freed Not to go and just be licentious in all of your life, but to go and delight in obeying Jesus because you've already been accepted by Him. Be free. Smile. 
you're in the kingdom of heaven if you simply believe God's gospel news that he became sin for you. He knew no sin himself, but he became it for you and died in your place and rose again so that you, you, you who are thinking that I'm not praying about you, yes, you, so that you might become the righteousness of God today. Believe God. In Jesus' name, amen.